Schlob Talk Radio. Please join me in welcoming our 34th head football coach at the University of South Carolina, Coach Will Muschamp. Thank you very much, Coach, for raising the expectation level here, and we're going to we're going to continue to push that forward and push the envelope to winning championships consistently here in Columbia. Three wide receivers left side. Can play right side or cutting it in into the end zone. Brandon Wilds in the backfield. Connor lifts the leg. Here comes the blitz. Picked up initially. Mitch up the middle. Gonna run for it inside the 40. 35, 30. Scrolls out. Steps out of bounds. Fire. Weir's back to work again. Shotgun snap right in his face mark. He's going to go quarterback draw straight up the middle. Gets one block and then turn it up and over. Sky Moore put his face mask right left under pressure. Hennessy throws it. And good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good day. Welcome to Countdown to Kickoff. I am your host, the one and only Anthony Denmark, Denmark like the country. And ladies and gentlemen, we have a little bit less than 30 days until kickoff. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm excited. I am overjoyed. I'm looking forward to being able to talk about the action, to talk about what I saw, to be able to express my excitement on the dynamic plays that I was fortunate enough to witness. We are 30 days closer to that, and I don't know about you again. Like I said, I'm excited. Countdown to kickoff is brought to you guys by EatDrinkSpeakSports.com. That's E-A-T-D-R-N-K-S-L-P. SPRTZ.com. No, it's not the Webster's way. It's definitely the Denmark way. You know what? That's fine with me. On tonight's show, as usual, we have a lot of things on tap. Uh, We're going to continue our countdown to kickoff series where we preview every college football program in the country. And this week it's going to have a little Palmetto State flavor. We're going to be talking tonight about the South Carolina Gamecocks. They now enter into a new era. Coach Boone, maybe he will get it right his second time around. He definitely does know how to recruit. He definitely does know how to excite a fan base. We do know that he definitely has knowledge when it comes to defense. But ultimately, we do know that at the same time, he has struggled with consistently being able to put it all together. The question is, will he be able to do that? We're going to have a guest writer, the Garnet and BlackAttack.com, uh, to tell us what we should expect uh, for those Gamecocks entering into the 2016 season. Uh, but without further ado, let's go ahead and start our show like we always do with our breaking news segment. What we got? First up, everybody's talking, everybody's buzzing. As the University of Michigan uh, announced, showed, displayed their new jerseys, of course, totally different from the ones that had the Adidas mark on it, now that they are, in fact, being represented by uh, Nike, specifically, the Jumpman, everybody's excited. What makes this story even more interesting is Nike also announced that they will be making Jumpman khakis 
for Jim Harbaugh, who, of course, has patently become famous not just for his satellite camps, but also famous for whatever shirt or jersey that he happens to step to uh, tuck into his. My question is, I wonder how much will those khakis cost? And I can expect that in Ann Arbor, Michigan, we will definitely expect to see the sales for those Jumpman khakis reach high marks. What else we got? And other breaking news. Of course, you know, whenever we hear about the Zika virus, we often hear it connected to Brazil. However, the Zika virus has made its way to Miami. There has been a national statement put out to say that all pregnant women should not be in Miami at this particular time of traveling. And if, in fact, they live there, they are supposed to stay indoors. You may say, Denmark, why are you talking about that, and how in the world does that have anything to do with college football? Well, to my people who live in Miami, you do know that Miami is a very small place. We do know that the next two to three weeks, uh, the University of Miami be welcoming its students back on campus. We do know that since Miami is a small place, and we do know that antics that take place in college could make the Zika virus be something of very particular interest, especially the, to parents sending their kids to Coral Gables for an education. We also do know that Miami is definitely a place to party. And we do know that throughout the season, we are going to expect to see several fan bases, faithful from the ACC, uh, making that track down to Miami uh, to cheer on their opposing teams and also to partay. And I, for one, am concerned. I, for one, say to myself, this may provide a unfortunate situation where we could see the Zika virus begin to spread. But fortunately, the CDC has put out a statement saying that they have done a successful job in quarantining it. However, a recent report that I just read an hour ago said that the Zika virus has uh, spread past the place in which the uh, CDC had, had attempted to quarantine it in Miami. So that's definitely a story to watch. It's definitely something that you may not initially think is relevant to college football, but when you consider the fact that it's so close to a college campus, you consider the fact that you're going to see college fans coming from all over the country, specifically from ACC country, to cheer on their teams, and you may have a situation where you have a ripe opportunity for the virus to eventually not only spread uh, throughout Miami, but also provide an opportunity for it to possibly even spread uh, to these ACC schools uh, who come to visit Miami uh, to cheer on their opposing team. But we, of course, are hoping that that is, in fact, something that does not happen. Uh, the CDC, as well as the Miami uh, Health Department, have worked very hard to try to quarantine it, going door to door. But that is definitely a story to watch. What else we got? Now, often in sports, specifically in college football, we do know that the bad news, unfortunately, is the things that ends up generating a lot of headlines. However, I did want to take a moment to speak briefly, talk about Xavion Dobson. Xavion Dobson, a lot of my listeners probably do not know who he is, but Xavion Dobson was a, was a gentleman, a young man who uh, lost his life uh, during an incident that took place in his hometown of Knoxville. He, uh, a shooter, 
he got into the way of a shooter and covered up two women to ensure that they didn't get shot. However, he lost his life. He, however, uh, was a longtime friend of Vol starting safety Todd Kelly Jr., who said that this year he is going to be changing his number, wearing number 24, uh, to honor his long-lost friend. I, for one thing, it's definitely a story that is worth mentioning. At times, a lot of times in college football, we have an instance, we have a habit of only talking about the bad things, but we do know that we have a lot of talented young men out there that are doing great things. And that is definitely something that I think is worthy of reporting. We got anything else? In other good news, well, not so good news, we do know that earlier this month, uh, unfortunately, during a punt camp, uh, punters uh, for college football teams, specifically in Nebraska and also Michigan State, uh, lost their lives. Well, Michigan State announced their 2016 Hall of Fame class, and uh, the kicker, who goes by the name of Matt Mike Sadler, who was a four-time academic All-American, also one hell of a good punter, but based off of the rankings, he was actually ranked as the 46th best player in the Big Ten, uh, of course, before his uh, death. He's going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, and that's definitely something that's wonderful. Uh, the University of Mich- I'm sorry, Michigan State, uh, waived the 10-year wait period and decided to induct him immediately. Again, that's definitely a good story. Like I said before previously, at times in college football, as well as in sports, as well as in life, we have a tendency to focus on the negative. We do know that there are college programs, as well as college football players that are doing things the right way. So uh, kudos to uh, Michigan State. And also uh, we continue to send our prayers out to the Sadler family. Well, that wraps up our breaking news segment. Uh, the breaking news segment, of course, is brought to you guys by EatDrinkSleepSports.com. That's E-A-T-D-R-N-K-T-Z.com. Now, what are we going to talk about? Again, like I said, we're going to do our countdown to kickoff series where we're going to be previewing the South Carolina Gamecocks. But also what I wanted to talk about is Big 12 expansion. I swear I feel like I've been talking about Big 12 expansion almost every show. Uh, to my listeners who may have missed out, I've had an opportunity to have sports writers who uh, represent all the teams being mentioned in uh, Big 12 expansion on in our past podcast. You can listen to that by subscribing to our show on iTunes. The show is just called Countdown to Kickoff. Instead of writing out to, write the number and check it out. Uh, during today, uh, ACC Commissioner, AAC Commissioner, uh, put out a statement says, talking about addressing the big elephant in the room. And, of course, that elephant in the room is how many of these teams may find themselves being taken away from the conference, in my opinion, that has gained garnered more respectability, garnered more notoriety, and may have more talent from a coaching standpoint overall than the Big 12. We want to know what's going to happen. And at this particular juncture, we do know that Houston, UCF, even Eastern Carolina, which is a joke, uh, Memphis has all been mentioned as possible AAC teams, American Athletic Conference teams, uh, that could find themselves uh, possibly being selected uh, to participate and become a member of the Big 12. Well, you know what? Sponsors aren't too pleased. TV networks aren't too pleased. ESPN and Fox Sports, which, of course, at this particular moment hold the rights to a lot of the Big 12 games, 
have expressed their disdain, expressed their concern about Big 12 expansion. They expressed a concern that they feel as if by adding certain teams, uh, it may possibly end up watering down the product. And although people may look at this particular news and say, ah, that don't mean anything, well, it's very important. It's very important. Why? Because these are the guys who write the checks. Ultimately, although we would like to believe it is the Big 12 commissioner, Bob Bolsey, who will ultimately make the decision, this is a decision that's going to be made by the people who write the checks. And since at this particular juncture, the Big 12 does not have a Big 12 network, you got to listen to the people who want to write the checks. And since the goal is for them to be able to sign a contract with either Fox or with ESPN, you have to be able to pay attention to what it is that they want. And I truly believe that this is going to have a tremendous impact in regards to who they select to join the Big 12. Of course, we we assume that BYU is a shoe-in. We assume that Houston is also considered to be a shoe-in. But I think the purpose of this particular statement is to let it be known that maybe two may just be the cutoff, and although four may be nice and fine and dandy, but ultimately I believe that this is the warning sign put out by those particular TV networks saying, listen, the buck stops at two. But ultimately we do know that it's going to be a decision that's going to be made by Bob Bolsey, who we do know is one guy who follows by the mantra, it's better to measure ten times and cut once as opposed to cutting ten times and measuring once. As the Big 12 has always been slow in regards to making these, these type of decisions, but we do know that a decision will be made, according to rumors, in the next 28 days. I, of course, have already voiced who I believe should join the Big 12. I, for one, said that I believe that Houston should not be in the Big 12 because the Big 12 gains nothing by adding Houston because they already have the market. And also based off of the fact that I believe that Todd Herman will likely be coaching either at Texas A&M, Texas, LSU next season. I, for one, said that I believe that BYU should be added. I, for one, said I believe that UCF should be added. I also said that I believe that they should go ahead and swing for the fences and say that UCLA should be added. UCLA will be get an opportunity to finally step out of the shadow of USC. But that, of course, will come with a considerable price tag. But I think it's something that UCLA will do. Three teams, I believe the fourth team that I said was Boise State. Although they may not be able to add any more eyeballs and they may not be able to seem as much of a sexy pick, we do know that Boise State will win. They have averaged 10 wins for the past five seasons, despite the continual ascension of coaches going leaving the program. I believe that that form of stability is something that the Big 12 would need. I think the fourth team I did say I said was Colorado State. But, again, we're going to see what happens. We have 28 days before we find out who will be the next two members or four members added to the Big 12. We also have 28 days to see how the people who write the checks will respond to who is added to the Big 12. But, of course, as I say in life, as I say in sports, we're definitely going to see what's happening. And, of course, we're definitely going to see what's up. Now, moving on, for our countdown to kickoff series, Pretty much what we've is we've had sports writers come on from all over the country, sharing their insights, sharing their expertise, sharing their expectations 
for the particular college program that they have covered. If, in fact, you have a favorite team, I'm more than sure that I have covered them or I am in the process of going to cover them. So be sure you can check out uh, the past shows by subscribing to the podcast and checking out the website to listen in on those particular insights for those experts. But today, tonight, this morning, whenever you're listening, uh, we're going to be covering the South Carolina Gamecocks. Now, each morning when I go to work, I'll drive by William Bryce Stadium, and I can honestly say that it's definitely something that you cannot ignore. We do know that during the time and during the era of Steve Spurrier, he brought back respectability to a program who before him had the nation's longest losing streak, which was at 23. Boy, oh boy, he definitely turned the tables, brought the program back. They won two back-to-back 11-win seasons. They also were fortunate enough to be able to keep a lot of their talented players in state and be able to secure Jabavion Clowney, who, of course, is now being paid to play in Houston. They were able to keep their premier running back and Marcus Lattimore, who, of course, did dynamic things in South Carolina and is now pursuing an acting career in Hollywood. But we do know that, unfortunately, last season, things looked pretty bad. So bad, so that Steve Spurrier left. Some people say he retired. Some people say he quit on this program. But nevertheless, the Steve Spurrier era is over, and it is now time to enter into a new era of college football in Columbia. Gamecock Nation welcomes in their 34th coach and Coach Will Muschamp. I call him Coach Boom. And in order to find out what we should expect from the Coach Boom era, let's go ahead and get Stephen Wise, who covers the Carolina Gamecocks for Garnett and Black Attack, to find out what's happening and find out what's up with these Gamecocks entering into this upcoming season. Welcome to the hey, show. Hey, Anthony, how's it going? Uh, how's it going? It's going, it's going great. It's going great. Uh, now, of course, we do know that uh, the Gamecocks definitely want to get the bad taste of last season out of their mouth, and they have 30 more days before their matchup with uh, the Vanderbilt Commodores. But going into this season, how different will the Will Muschamp era be his second time around compared to how things were uh, in Florida and Texas and Auburn and in Alabama? Well, um, you def- I can definitely feel a different vibe. Because this time last year, like, we were we were kind of thinking, okay, we'll be all right, maybe make a bowl game. But we didn't have that sense of, I guess, confidence or optimism we have this year. When you bring in a new coach, a lot of the time you'll feel that sense of optimism that, like, it's a new system, it's new players, like, go ahead and get this um, started on a good note at Vanderbilt on the September 1st. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Now, of course, we do know that uh, Will Muschamp's calling card is definitely his defense. He's also a remarkable recruiter as the Gamecocks were able to uh, get a commit from four-star lineman this today, actually. And they've already mm-hmm. secured a lot of other talented players who are going to be uh, in Columbia uh, next season. But this season, on the offensive side of the ball, what will be their identity? What will be their philosophy? Or what should we expect from them? Honestly, at this point, that we're not entirely sure. There's a lot of unknowns. David Williams was a talented four-star running back coming to high school, Pennsylvania. He came in and he's kind of underperformed the last two years. Last year, I think he only averaged like 3.3 yards per carry. So the running ball, um, running the ball, the offensive line, we've done some reshuffling there. Mason Zandy got moved from right tackle to left tackle. Our center's different. Alan Nottie's back from injury. 
so we'll see how the offensive line settles in. And so if they manage to solidify and, you know, um, kind of set the tone up front, that'll help the running game. Outside of receiver, we've got um, Debo Samuel, who only had 168 receiving yards last year, so he's kind of an unknown coming in at receiver. Um, outside, we've also got Brian Edwards, the talented freshman. Um, the four, he was a four-star receiver out of Conway. He's kind of excited to play a major role this year. But outside of that, there's a lot of um, just uncertainty, really. Absolutely. Again, I'm on the line with Stephen Wise. He's a writer for Garnet and BlackAttack.com. I've read you guys' website. You guys have a wonderful thing that you guys are doing called The Final Cock Now. And pretty much what it's letting everybody know is that, listen, yes, we had a, a pretty a season to forget last year, but there's plenty of talent here. A lot of former four stars on both sides of the ball who are biting at the bit to be able to uh, finally live up to uh, their, uh, their rankings from high school. But one of the questions, of course, during media days, uh, Coach Muschamp released his depth chart. And at the quarterback mm-hmm. position, he listed five co-starters, uh, Bentley, Nunez, um, McElwain, and Orth. Now, who, wh- wh- where do we stay, stand in regards to the quarterback position? Who do you see uh, starting? And uh, will they be starting at the end of the season? All right, this is a really unpopular opinion, but I do see Perry Orth taking that starting spot given the fact that he's a senior and the fact that he has experience and he's very knowledgeable with the playbook. I see him starting the first game at Vanderbilt. The second game is at Mississippi State. I believe he plays well enough to maintain his starting job through the Georgia game, and that's the fifth game of our season. I believe at that point Georgia's defense will kind of swarm. Like they're, they're, Georgia's supposed to be a good team this year, so I think he'll be underperforming that game, opening the door for McIlwain, or even Bentley, I can see as a dark horse um, coming in and taking that starting job and maintaining it throughout the season. Absolutely, because I know that a lot of people are excited about McIlwain, who said no to the Major League Baseball draft and decided to come in. And Bentley is also an exciting uh, guy as well. He, of course, decided to uh, graduate early. And so those mm-hmm. are two definitely guys who are definitely at least are going to be the future of the uh, Gamecock uh, program leading forward. However, we do know that man, oh, man, Farrell Cooper will definitely be missed in game cognition. He definitely did everything Absolutely. from running to even throwing to catching, punt returns, kick returns. And uh, we need to know, who, 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 who's going to stand in the speed? In the speed? I think Debo Samuel. I think Debo Samuel is up to the challenge this year. I think that, I mean, he's got the size to do this. 6'1", 210. So he's got the size to go up and win those jump balls. He's got the, athlete, the athleticism to stretch the field defensively. Um, I, I think that that's going to be the go-to guy. Him and Brian Edwards will team up, and I think they'll have a very productive year this year, that, that kind of under-the-radar duo that can make some noise in the SEC. Absolutely. Now, of course, we, don't know, we do know that during the offseason, uh, the uh, South Carolina Gamecock defense was dealt a huge, serious blow as the Sky Moore uh, suffered a neck injury, and he's going to be out for the season. Sky Moore, of course, would have probably been on every preseason watch list defensive award known to man. But in his speed, uh, the defense does have a lot of talented players who are biting at the bit to be able to finally fulfill and live up to some of their high school billing. Uh, what should we expect defensive side of the ball? Um, I mean, obviously, it's, it's you're not going to replace a player of Sky's caliber. With the leadership, from the, the coverage to just every aspect of the game, he dominates. But I think T.J. Holloman, who came in last year and played well, had like I think four interceptions last year, He'll slide over to the mic. He's got great size there, 6'2", 240, and he's got experience. He's going to be a senior this year. 
outside, at our two outside spots, it's kind of we got three players competing there. We got Lorenz Bryant, who's my favorite to win the weak side spot, who was a former four-star um, coming out of high school. That's one I noted on today in the final cockdown. We also got Brian Allen, Brian Allen Williams, who I think could be a very special player, and Jonathan Walton. Brian, Brian, all those guys are seniors that I just mentioned, so you have experience there. So I don't think there will be as much for drop-off as expected as when there was, I mean, obviously there was a lot of concern when Skymore went down, but I don't think there's going to be that much of a drop-off. Absolutely. Of course, I read your article talking about Lorenz Brown, definitely an athlete. Nevertheless, we're going to see if he could live up to those tremendous feelings. Now, one of the questions that I definitely had specifically is regarding the secondary. Now, we do know that uh, junior corner Chris Lehmans is definitely one that could be counted on to be able to uh, handle the number one receivers on opposing defenses, offenses, excuse me. But besides uh, Chris Lamons, who else should we expect to uh, stand up and speak out in the defensive secondary and answer questions? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Rico McWilliams is a guy that not um, – he's a senior this year. He's gonna he's playing a leadership role in that secondary, from what I understand. He doesn't have a great size. He's only five foot ten, but I think that his competitiveness and his um, I guess his drive is what keeps him in the game. So I think Rico McWilliams is gonna hold down that side of the field. Chris Lambs is a guy that I think is going to have a special season. He can play safety or corner, so he's real versatile. Think um, Tyron Matthew. I mean, obviously he's not that caliber, but I think Tyron Matthew is like that um, Swiss Army knife of the, back, of the um, defensive backfield. And Demarcus King is the Juco corner we got. He's a four-star. I think he's going to come in and have a really good season this year, given memories of like Stephon Gilmore, um, Antonio Allen, Captain Marlin, like the great corners that we've had. I think he could be the next one. Absolutely. One of the things that always I find almost a joke is, uh, you know, when the SEC media days uh, make their predictions on uh, where teams are going to finish, uh, they said mm-hmm. that the South Carolina Gamecocks would finish uh, last in the SEC East, and we do know that their predictions are always, always wrong, consistently Absolutely. almost to a degree, fairly consistently wrong. Uh, but where do you see the ceiling of this Gamecock team going into this season? Will Muschamp said he's a three and nine coach coaching a three and nine team. Is a three and nine is three and nine where the ceiling is, or should we expect more? Um, I think the people what people look at like common misconception with South Carolina is that we don't have talent, but we do have plenty of talent, like we hit on earlier. Our roster is loaded with former four stars, five stars, and even high three stars that can come in and play. The problem's been player development, so I think we have the talent. If T. Rob and Coach Muschamp can come in and get those guys playing well, I think that this defense, uh, this defense will play. Um, it will step up with play. The offense, if we can figure stuff out, if McIlwain plays well, if Orth plays well, this could easily be a seven-win team and make a bowl game for the first time in the past two years. Absolutely, I think one of the things that's going to be awesome about South Carolina this year is when you go into a season without expectations. I mean, the pressure's off you guys. And so the Absolutely. that being there, it allows you to play looser. It allows you to play faster. I mean, when you look at the scouting report, there's going to be a whole bunch of questions. And it's definitely, I believe, that the Gamecocks is going to be a team that's going to grow throughout the season. I truly do not believe that their record will be a representative of how, how good this question is. Mm-hmm. We do know that, uh, you know, Steve Spurrier was uh, announced to be an ambassador for the Florida Gators. Mm-hmm. We do mm-hmm. know that the field was uh, also – going to be named after him. And I just wonder down in Columbia, which is literally up the street from where I live, how has that been received? Um, there's there's definitely been mixed feelings towards it. A lot of people are hating on Spurrier because, he, first of all, he left in the middle of last season. 
and the fact that he kind of went back into the game and is going to Florida to be an ambassador. But at the same time, you can't hate the man for continuing his career. What he did at Carolina is something that we can never fully repay him for. He brought us from the Lou Holtz era. We were average at best. In 2002 and 2003, I mean, we were, those were our best years, but we were average. And Spurrier comes in, and he ushers along this new era of recruiting started going up. We hit the best streak in school history with those three 11-win seasons. I think that regardless of what's going on with Steve Spurrier right now, we have to understand what he did for the program, and we can't really be mad at him for what's going on. I totally agree. Of course, you know, this upcoming season we have 30 days uh, before we get a lot of questions answered about Gamecocks. And uh, I hope that I can rely on hearing from you in regard to checking on the status of the Gamecocks throughout the season. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. You take care, Anthony. Now, one of the things that's interesting, again, thank you, that's Stephen Wise. He covers the Shopsider Gamecocks for the Garnet and BlackAttack.com. Be sure and check it out. Very in-depth coverage. I enjoy reading it avidly. Um, but, again, you know, this season is definitely going to be one filled with a lot of uncertainty. Um, we do know that they have a, a lot of talented players on their team, like Stephen Wise pointed out. But the thing is they haven't been able to develop. And we do know that one of the things that Coach Will Muschamp has done at each of his seeds is he's been able, when the pressure has been on, I mean, when the seed has gotten its hottest, at times he's been able to thrive. People oftentimes only think about that that loss that they suffered uh, during while he was a head coach at Florida uh, to the Georgia Bulldogs. But they also had some other pretty good games, and they ended the season on a pretty high note when the seat was pretty much on fire. So entering into this upcoming season, we do know that the Gamecocks will be entering into a season with not much expectation. But, hey, haven't we heard that before? So many programs enter to a season with a lot of pressure. And when they enter to a season with a lot of pressure and a lot of expectations, they find themselves faltering to that pressure. I mean, these guys are 19, 22, and 23 years old, so that's expected. But when you enter to a game where no one is expecting you to do anything, the bar has been set so low, people are, have mistakenly assumed that there's no talent on this team. And when you sleep on a program, you may find yourself losing. And I really believe that that's the mantra that uh, Coach Will Muschamp is trying to set for his players. When you say that you are a 3-9 and nine coach, coaching a 3-9 and nine team, that saying reverse psychology to me is, listen, everybody is doubting us. Nobody is giving us a chance. Heck, people expect us to even lose to Vanderbilt with expectations that low. What are you going to do? How are you going to respond? And I believe in 30 days we're going to get our answer. I expect the South Carolina Gamecocks to be able to exceed expectations. I expect the South Carolina Gamecocks to be better than 3-9. and nine. Heck, I expect the South Carolina Gamecocks to remind people very quickly that, yes, the Steve Spurrier era is over, but during that Steve Spurrier area, they did a great job in recruiting. And you're going to find out about a lot of these talented players who will produce. Why? Because they have to. And also, too, because they're going to get an opportunity to do so. But, again, as I say in life, as I say in sports, when you find out about what's going to happen in regards to the Gamecocks, we're definitely going to see what's happening. And, of course, we are definitely going what's up. Again, thanks, Stephen Wise, for coming on to the show. Now, moving on to our next topic. One of the other things that I wanted to find myself talking about briefly is I wanted to talk about 
<clears throat> excuse me, the college football playoffs. We do know that ultimately 120 teams start the season with the aspirations and the dreams of being able to be the final four. However, we do know also rather quickly that 120 teams do not fit the bill for being able to fill those four spots. And one of the things that's very wonderful about the season is it's going to be like a game of Survivor. The Island of Dreams is what I call it. And on that Island of Dreams, it's going to start with 120 teams. And each week, teams are going to be voted off based off of the losses, based off of their inability to be able to produce, and also based off of them being able to win. However, we do know ultimately out of those 120 teams that ultimately almost off top, you can eliminate non-Tire 5 teams from contention, which ultimately reduces the load of who's going to be the last four in to five so-called power conferences, that being the Big 12, that being the ACC, that being the Big 10, that being also the SEC. And so then you say that, okay, out of those, you free and the Pac-12. I forgot those guys down west. No West Coast bias. I'm a Trojan at heart, graduated in 2012. Nevertheless, we do know that ultimately it's going to come down to those five power conferences. And then you find yourself saying, okay, we have those few teams, those teams on the island. And then you say, all right, we do know that ultimately a team that's going to contend and win the national championship are going to be teams that cannot win, that cannot lose no more than two games. So immediately you just start eliminating teams from the ACC, like Wake Forest, no disrespect, like Boston College, like Vanderbilt, like Kentucky, like Washington State, like Oregon State, like Iowa State, like, let's see here, I got to get some Big Ten teams eliminated, like Wisconsin, like Purdue, like, dang, hard to name some teams. But nevertheless, we do know that ultimately when you come down to it, you're really going to only have really a core of 12 teams that are going to be contending for the national championship this upcoming season. And you say to yourself, is your team in? Is your team one of the teams that may find themselves qualifying for those final four? Is your team one of the ones who will be fortunate to qualify for the final four that can make it to the final two and also end up hoisting up that trophy? And I found myself looking at certain things that qualify certain qualities that past national championship teams have shared. And one of the qualities that I found very quickly is that although everybody would like to believe that you have to have a highest winning quarterback, the truth of the matter is you don't. Last year's national championship team showed that as the Alabama Crimson Tide were led by a longtime backup and Corker, who, of course, led the Crimson Tide to the promised land. However, it does seem to become obvious that you do need to have at least a Heisman contender on your team. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that they have to be a Heisman finalist. It does not necessarily mean that you have to win the Heisman. But what you need is you have to have a player who is one who stands alone, who, when the clutch, can be able to produce when everybody knows they're getting the ball, when everybody knows they are going to be the one who makes the play. And so based off of that, you immediately say that, okay, Deshaun Watson definitely qualifies, therefore Clemson qualifies. You'll ultimately say, oh, well, Christian McCaffrey qualifies, so therefore Stanford qualifies. You'll say, oh, Oklahoma qualifies. Why? Because they have two possible high contenders, and Samaj P. Ryan, of course, and 
Baker Mayfield. Oh, Florida State qualifies. Why? Because, well, damn, they have a long time backup and Sean McGuire, so that means they fit the Jay Coca bill. Then you say to yourself, okay, the Big Ten qualifies because they have an experienced quarterback in Ohio State, J.T. Barrett, so therefore Ohio State qualifies. You'll say, oh, well, maybe Michigan State qualifies because, hey, we have a history of that past national championship team and a long-time backup producing. So since they have O'Connor in tow, maybe Michigan State qualifies. Then you'll say, oh, well, Michigan State. Well, you'll say Michigan also qualifies because they have O'Corn, who, of course, is a transfer from Houston, who's right now currently buying it out with space for the number one job. So if, in fact, O'Corn wins the job, they fit the bill. So you say, who else do we have left? So out of the teams that I just named, I named Alabama, I named Clemson, I named Florida State, I named Stanford, I named Michigan, I named Michigan State, and I'll be remiss if also I did not name, of course, LSU. However, you say, well, LSU does have a quarterback who has experience, but they have a quarterback who is unable to consistently throw the ball. Yes, we do know that he has the talent. Yes, we do know that he has the five-star building as a high school All-American, but he doesn't consistently play. So that is the reason why I omitted LSU. I know you may say that LSU does have the talent. They do. But ultimately, you've got to be able to have a quarterback who can, who can consistently deliver the ball. It doesn't have to be one that leads to them ultimately shaking the hands of Roger Goodell as the number one pick in the draft. But it ultimately has to be someone who you can rely on on third and seven to be able to make the clutch play and also be able to make the alarming play. All the quarterbacks who I mentioned, O'Connor from Michigan State, O'Corn from Michigan, J.T. Barrett from Ohio State. Ah, take a breath. Deshaun Watson from Clemson, and of course, we don't know in regards to Stanford. So one of the things that's going to be interesting is you're going to see a lot of talented teams who's going to get a lot of questions answered about their quarterback play. And based off of their quarterback play, it's going to be able to determine the level of success that that particular program is going to be able to experience. We do know that Christian McCaffrey is a dynamic player, but due to the uncertainty of quarterbacks, you're going to be able to find out very quickly in the Pac-12 schedule, the Pac-12, the deepest conference in college football, um, where Stanford lies. Maybe their ceiling will be going to the Rose Bowl. But if, in fact, they have aspirations of being able to finally be one of four to contend for the national championship, quarterback play is definitely something that's going to be essential. Now, if, in fact, Logan was able to come back, I'm sorry, Hogan come back for a six-year, then I think that the Stanford Cardinals would be definitely right for contention for the national championship. But considering the uncertainty that they have at quarterback, uh, there's a lot of questions. Well, then you may say, well, Denmark, what about Jameis Winston? And I'll say the Jameis Winston effect is definitely something that should be considered. We do know that Chris, uh, the guy vying for the quarterback position at uh, Stanford, was definitely a former four-star, former elite 11th quarterback. He definitely has the talent, the acumen, but will he have the consistency to be able to thrive in the Stanford Cardinal offense? We do know ultimately when it comes to Stanford, you have to have a quarterback that can make the play. Hogan last year was able to extend plays with his feet, and ultimately we do know that Chris, although we have not seen a lot of him, that the athleticism that, of course, was a added luxury for the Cardinals with Hogan may not be something that may be able to utilize with Chris and Stanford. 
Now, of course, do you say about the Jameis Winston effect? You look down and you look at Florida State and you say, well, you got Francois during the offseason was able to take a lot of the snaps with the first-team defense, offense, due to the fact that McGuire was injured. And you say, well, they have the Jameis Winston effect and they have the long-time backup effect at Sean McGuire. So two should be better than one. And you know what? It's definitely something that I definitely cannot disagree with. As when I previewed my college football top 25, I for one said that I believe that Florida State should start the season as preseason number one. No disrespect to Deshaun Watson, no disrespect to Alabama, but I just truly believe that overall, from a talent perspective, they have the less, the least a number of questions that they have to get answered. And of course, we do know that whoever is quarterback at Alabama will be contending for a national championship. But we do know that although history has repeated itself, as we've seen with Coker winning the championship, but also with past quarterbacks uh, winning championships or contending for championships with Alabama, you have to say at some point there will be some type of drop-off. Now, we do know that in Alabama they do have Cornwell. They do, of course, have uh, Barnett. And they do also have, I can't believe I can't remember his name, uh, also contending for the quarterback position. And the assumption is, is that whoever's the quarterback at Alabama is going to contend for a national championship, possibly win an SEC championship. And I say although history has demonstrated that it is, in fact, how it's taken place, I'd be remiss to all automatically assume that any quarterback could be able to automatically go under center with Alabama and contend for a national championship. When you look at the past Alabama Crimson Tide quarterbacks, you've been fortunate enough to either one make it to the college football playoffs or either two win a national championship. One of the things that they had was a lot of experience in the offense. Jacob Coker had a lot of experience in the offense. He, of course, backed up Jameis Winston during his time at Florida State, and also he had to take some time and back up the quarterback, serve as a held a clipboard uh, in the season prior uh, to him taking the starting job last year. So although Alabama has, of course, been granted the benefit of the doubt, why? Because they've won national championships and contended for national championships regardless of who's under center, I believe that it's definitely something that should definitely be watched the assumption, of course, has proven to be true, but we do know that history has a way of demonstrating us that, hey, maybe that was just the exception to the rule, but in 30 days um, in Texas, in Arlington, we're going to see what happens with the quarterback position in Alabama, and we're going to see if, in fact, they are a team that may find themselves vying for the national championship ultimately at season's end. But like I said, it's just like a big game of survival. And ultimately, you have to have a quarterback who's experienced or a quarterback who at least is talented enough to be able to compensate for his experience with incredible arm talent, savviness, and future uh, NFL caliber play. That's what the past quarterbacks who've won or contended has done, and I expect that not to change entering into this upcoming season. Now, one of the other qualifications that you definitely have to have is you have to have defense. And that's one of the reasons why I find myself questioning the Oklahoma Sooners who probably lost some of their best defensive players in Oklahoma Sooner history. They lost Zach Sanchez, who's now being paid to play. They lost Eric Stryker, who, in my opinion, may go down as one of the best linebackers in Oklahoma Sooner history. He, of course, is also being paid to play. They lost, of course, Tapper, who's also being paid. We're going to get a lot of answers in regards to where we should rank Oklahoma this upcoming season. They have the offense to be able to win games. 
but will they have the defense to be able to stop the opposing teams from scoring? We're going to find out when they face off against Ohio State. We're going to find out when they face off against another offensive powerhouse in Houston. We have 30 days until we get a lot of these questions answered, and I'm excited to find the answers to these questions and more. I want to thank you guys for tuning in to Countdown to Kickoff. Remember that Sparks gives us an opportunity to take a timeout from life and all the things that have a tendency of stressing us out. Thank you for tuning in to Sports. I know I will, too. Peace. Bye. Yeah.